Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. morning church how y'all doing good awesome hey we're glad that you're here um you know i just want to say on the outset if you felt distracted getting to church today you're not alone um a few of us felt that way so take heart i have something so amazing to share with you um and this is probably not a verse that you're not familiar with but i think it's so important and it's so timely for today Um, This is the prophet Joel speaking in the Old Testament. And Isaac, just for reference, this is not on the slide because I just threw this in. Uh, This is Joel, and this is the Lord. He says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your spirit is here and that you have dominion and you win over any spirit of distraction or darkness or confusion or discouragement. And in the name of Jesus, we stand on the promise that you are the way maker, Lord Jesus. You're the way maker for your promise and your word to begin coming to pass. God, you are the way maker for all of your children, be they sons or daughters, to be able to stand in your presence in freedom. In your precious and holy name I pray. And the church said, Amen. 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 You guys look good today. Thanks, you're welcome. Um, When my son, my oldest son was about three years old, this was quite a few years ago now, we lived next door to these awesome little neighbor boys. And Crosley loved playing with them. They were a few years older than him, but they were so kind to him. And they would often congregate in our yard, and they would just all play together, and they'd have the best time. And one day, they they all kind of played in our yard because Cros was the little guy, and I needed to be able to see him. But their backyards connected to our backyard. And so one day, Crosley comes running in, and he's like, Mom, Mom, can I go to the neighbor's yard and play? Because they invited me, and, and you can see me from here, so I think it's fine. And I said, yes, you can, but whose yard are you going to be playing in? And he goes, oh, I'm not sure, the one on the right. And I'm thinking, you're right or my right? Like, we're we're face to face. And I said, okay, okay, yeah, buddy, that's fine, but are you going to be in Truman's or Emerson's yard? And he said, oh, I don't actually know. I can't tell them apart. Okay, um, he was three, and I'm going to show you a photo here in a second, but in full disclosure, this photo was taken about three years after this happened, so one of the little boys had grown substantially, the other one had, you know, still stayed about short, but I want to just let you find out if you can tell the little boys that are circled in this photo apart. Can you, can you see this? For sake of the podcast, um, one little boy is very white <laughs> and handsome, and one little boy is so handsome and black, and um, they don't look anything alike at all. But you know what? When he said this, my mama heart just literally burst with joy 
because I thought, that's right, son. There is no hint of segregation in your eyes. And the, the thing is, Crosley just saw them as his friends. He saw them as people to be valued, people to be honored, playmates, not even thinking to go, oh, the white one or the black one. You know, and as I was preparing for this message, I really felt, I felt two things. One, I felt unity come over me, the thought, and one was segregation. And I thought, okay, um, I guess I'm supposed to preach on racism. And I questioned the Lord, Lord, you've seen me dance. I don't know if I'm the right person to speak on racism, even though I'm super passionate about it. Like, there is not any movement within me that is not very white. And I'm discouraged about that. But I felt the Lord take me to a different path of discrimination. And so I felt him say, speak on unity and discrimination. And I felt him bring me to a path that I personally have experienced. Now, I want to be clear. This is in no way comparing what I'm going to talk on to the horror that, has ex that people of color have experienced in their discrimination. So please do not leave thinking I am comparing the two. I'm not. I'm just going to speak to you from a place where I can understand the discrimination that has been in this specific topic. We're kicking off a series today called Mist, And the point of this series is talking about topics that the church as a whole has missed for generations. Topics that really are a lot easier to just sidestep and avoid. Um, topics that have created so much tension and debate, specifically in the Christian settings. Topics that I personally believe the demonic realm has been working overtime to keep the church silent yeah. on these matters. And over the next few weeks, we're going to discuss these topics that need addressed in the church of Jesus. So as we go through mist, my prayer for all of us is that the silence would be no more. There would no longer be silence on these topics. But there's been this area of segregation within the church that's existed for centuries. And it's a sin and it's prevailed. Um, it has caused churches to have a lack of unity, which is completely against the heartbeat of God. And in full transparency, I have wrestled with this message, and my sweet husband can attest to this, unlike any message I've ever, ever preached. It's been a week from H-E double hockey stick. That's what it's been. Um, but God has been so faithful to encourage me and to confirm the word he's given me and to reiterate the importance of this. Because this topic has effectively eliminated 50% of the Bride of the Christ for hundreds of years. And this discrimination isn't based on skin color as we experience in many issues in society. It's actually on gender. So it's this controversy of whether or not women should be allowed to lead and preach in the church. So we're just going to keep it real light today, real fun. <laughs> but it's interesting, this topic, this very topic has been blowing up on social media. Have any of you seen the controversy on social media? A few of you? Yeah. It's been crazy. Um, but I want to read this to you. One male pastor who I respect and love so much, he said this. He said, many women wake up every day to the world of discrimination simply because of their gender. But the most troubling aspect of this oppression is that the church is often found leading it. Many believers have developed a theology that proactively uses the Bible to disqualify women from the most formidable roles of leadership, especially in the church. 
The argument of disempowerment of women is illogical, unscriptural, and beyond outdated. And I believe, I asked the Lord, why did you give me that story of Crosley? This has really nothing to do with it. And I felt him say, it's a picture of hope. Because there has been such strides and movement against racism and discrimination. And he said, I'm about ready to do a work against the discrimination of my children that are females. And so I thought, okay, we are going to begin to experience unity in this specific subject in regard to women and the church. I think that previous generations would have been floored to see the progress that we've made against discrimination and racism. They would have never believed that neighbor boys could play in complete unity without setting one another apart. But it's happening by God's grace. And I think it's incredibly important because we're moving closer to the heartbeat of God. And that's always the goal. So the reason we're talking about this today is because Church 214 from the beginning has known we're called to equip people. We're called to create lanes for people to run in their God-given anointing and calling, whether they are male or female, whether they are black or white or brown or very white, like my sweet friend on the screen, whatever their age or gender or race, we are called to help give you the lanes to run in your anointing and to help you know this is how God's wired me. This is my lane to run in. And this includes women preaching the word of God. And that's why we've modeled this to you. That's why you see women up here leading in prayer, leading in worship, leading on the pulpit, leading in kids, leading in the prayer movement that happens before any of you step through the door. Because the voice of women are so important to the heartbeat of God. So in case you're just not aware, you're like, why are we talking about this? This is huge in the church, okay? Huge. It has been setting churches apart for a long time. And um, one of the more controversial points is actually taken from one verse, and we're not even going to read it because that's not what today's about, but it's where Paul says that women should be silent in the church. And so there's this whole incredibly large theology that, that says, okay, that is, means no woman can ever speak in the church ever, 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 no matter who she is or where she is. And that is the, the issue that surrounds is that one verse. Okay, but the thing that's interesting, we have to notice this. Paul is one of about 40 authors of the Bible. So God gives these inspired words that were his written word, okay? About 40 authors penned the Bible. And he's the only one that mentions this out of all of them. The rest are silent on the matter. They don't say anything about it. And so I'm thinking, if this is so foundational to the structure of God's church and his people, why didn't he give confirmation that this was his heart in the matter? Why just Paul? And many people use that to silence the women of churches. Today, we're actually not going to focus on the debate side of this subject because I think it is um, not worth our time. Today, we're going to focus on the heart of God regarding women because we want to always be moving towards him. But I want to address that really fast. Paul, I believe, after a ton of study, a ton of research, I believe Paul wasn't talking to the female gender as a whole. He was actually addressing a few specific churches that were having some disruption within their gatherings. So there was a few women 
that were creating distractions and disruptions. And Paul was, as a leader should do in the church, he was actually sending a rebuke and some discipline for that specific subject. And that's why he addressed those women. It was not meant for every woman through all of history. And he's reminding them in this passage, he says, hey, God's a God of unity, and this is not unity that you're experiencing. God is a God of peace, and so we need to get back in line with God's character in this specific church or these few churches. Okay, are you guys with me? Okay. This is personal to me. This topic gets super personal to me, not just because I'm a woman that preaches, but I know that people get really ugly when it comes to this topic. People lose their mind about this topic. Families are literally separated over this topic. And yet for centuries as a whole, the church has sort of just been silent and kind of let it go. And women have been oppressed in the church, and it's time that stop. It's time that we begin to experience unity on this topic. So the reason it's, it's personal to me is I've been preaching God's word for 20 years. I started when I was like two years old. Um, not really. Um, I've, been preaching this, I've been preaching God's word for 20 years, and I've never talked about this topic uh, for one certain reason. And it's because this has a lot of tension with my own dad. Um, my own dad believes that women should not be leaders or preachers in the church of Jesus. And I want to be clear, my dad loves Jesus, and the reason I've never talked about this is because I really do want to honor him, and I really do love him. Um, but I'm very confident in the call God has on my life, and my loyalty has to be to the voice of my heavenly father over the opinion of my earthly dad. So I don't know if you've ever found your yourself in a place like that where you've got to sort of choose. It's not easy. Um, but I want you to know, like, I'm okay because God has surrounded me with so many voices of encouragement. And I know full well that God's voice is crystal clear on this matter. And I'm walking in obedience of what he's spoken to me. So my goal in this conversation is not debate. My goal is always unity and love and that the truth would begin to set people free. So as I ponder this, I go, I can't be silent on this anymore. This has got to be something I talk about um, because I believe God's given me a voice in this lane and on this subject, and so I'm going to use it. And I want you women specifically to know, if the Father has appointed you and anointed you, absolutely no one's voice should hinder that call in your life, no matter who they are, okay? God is doing something really incredible in the global church. He is allowing this um, awakening, specifically of men, to support the voices of women alongside them. And this is incredibly exciting. Um, I believe that God is doing something very important in time and history right now. And it's bringing unity to the body of Christ. Um, a couple weeks ago, there was a really well-known spiritual leader who's a male who spoke out on this topic and um, he actually spoke very harshly against a woman of God named Beth Moore. Beth Moore has been preaching the gospel, writing Bible studies specifically for women for 30 years and countless people know Jesus because of Beth Moore and her faithfulness to carry on the call. And I know I've not had the experience that she has, but I know that it is not glamorous and it comes with extreme sacrifice. So this has not just been something that's been fluffy for Beth. This has been an, an act of obedience to the voice of God. But this man literally said that Beth should go home 
implying she needs to be removed from stages. She needs to not be preaching God's word. And I just thought, one, the disrespect was unbelievable. But I think he knew this was going to get a huge response. And the attention to him was fine because it was he was driven in debate as opposed to unity. Um, but his response is not in line with God's word because it does not emulate the heart of God for his children. Proverbs is full of verses and instruction that says your words must build up and not tear down. So when our words are tearing people down, no matter what race or gender they are, they're not in line with the heartbeat of God. So no matter what verse you're going to use to try and back it up, if it doesn't emulate the heart of Jesus, it is not based in scripture. So I want to actually just speak out publicly and tell you about a few of the godly men that God has chosen to surround, not just me, but these are the names that are personal to me, but you women too who are in this church. So it actually started with my grandpa, Owen Candler. He preached God's word for 47 years, and I remember him being the first person that ever looked at me. I was a little girl in his office, and he said, Heidi, you're supposed to preach God's word someday. And I was probably six or maybe seven years old helping him fold the bulletins because the pastors did everything. And I remember that sticking with me, thinking, okay, this seems bizarre, but if you think so, Grandpa, because he was like, I, I just adore him. Um, and then God's carried that on to my husband, Kip, to my sons, Crosley and Wilder. They are my biggest fans. They cheer me on. They listen to me prep and preach, and they're always speaking their encouragement over me. But then there's also my brothers. God's given me a slew of them. I've got Than and Matt and Isaac and Stephen, and they are all always reaffirming the call of God on my life. It, it, it goes on to my nephew Bennett and my nephew Jude, who are always supporting the women around him. And then I've got brother and loves that God gave me. I've got Isaac Schaefer, and I've got Chris Taves, who are always supporting. And then I've actually got the entire nation of the Crowy men who have stepped up and been supporting me for the last 10 years, the whole nation of them. I mean, they're massive, literally and figuratively. Um, and I've got my brothers on leadership here who are Phil Schaefer and David Little, just constantly supporting then friends in the audience. I've got guys on the leadership on the on the teaching team with me. We've got Ryan Anderson, uh, uh, Tony Escobar. You're not on the team technically, but you've preached and you should be. So see how they're after this. Um, Daryl Hedman getting up here and leading us in worship, supporting the women of this church. Um, then there's guys like Rob Craig who lead in kids' church tirelessly because he loves our children and he loves this church. And then people like Jared Smith, who go out of their way to welcome people, who are always supporting the women of this church. I've got friends like Terry Smith, who's a godly man who's been in my life for decades, who's texting me this week, not even knowing that I was preaching God's word, encouraging me in the anointing God's put on my life. God is not missing the fact that a few voices of dissension are in our ear He's going, it's okay, I've got, you've got an army surrounding you. And that's not just for me, that's for every single one of you that is a female sitting in this church. You are literally surrounded by men that are cheering you on and supporting you. So step up confidently and know that you're anointed and that you are appointed. So here's the point. If the voice of man doesn't approve of your appointing, when the voice of the Heavenly Father has spoken the anointing, there is no reproof. Okay, so why this controversy? A lot of the argument is based in the idea that men are to rule over women. 
and we're going to look at this. Um, Genesis has a lot to say about this. Um, One of the curses that was put on women in the garden after sin hit the earth, one of the curses that was put on women is that um, God proclaimed that husbands would rule over their wives. Okay, and so people use this as the as the idea that women should not have a place in leadership because they had to be under the men's authority. But the Hebrew word for rule in this passage is mashal, and it means to have dominion. So it's imperative for us to realize that before the curse, husbands and wives were commissioned to co-reign together in unity, according to Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So after the curse, it's when husbands are given dominion over their wives. So it's also important that we note that men were not given authority over all women for all times. They were given authority over their wives, okay? Yet, even under the curse, Genesis shows us that women in the Old Testament were empowered as judges, as queens, as leaders in their communities, as ones that build cities, as prophetess. Jesus literally gave up his life in order to remove the curse that was placed upon us in the garden, both men and women. Paul writes it this way in Galatians 3.13. He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, meaning the cross. So Jesus' death on the cross literally broke the curse off of us. But 2,000 years later, much of the church is applying God's redemption to one gender, to men. And they are wanting women to remain under the curse before Jesus died on the cross. So we cannot separate. We cannot divide what God's already done. Men are redeemed from the curse. Women are still under it. That is not in line with God's word. Okay, let's look at the significance of women in Scripture. Genesis is so helpful with this perspective in understanding how God views women. So the first reference to woman in Scripture is found in Genesis 1.26, and I'm going to read that to you now. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Uh, Side note, Genesis is the first book, so you don't even have to look silly trying to find it. It's just right there. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth including spiders and mice. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, in this passage, the word for man is actually Hebrew for Adam, which means mankind. So it's man as a species, not gender. You get it? Okay. So the image of God in creation is mankind being given authority to both sexes to rule and subdue the rest of creation. So God's giving um, purpose to them as a couple in unity. Okay, you guys are here to rule over the rest of my creation in unity, mankind, male and female. So both genders together are this expression of God's image and his likeness. This is where we are most like God, when we are in unity, it, male and female expressing, expressing God's likeness. This is God's heart. This is unity. 
This idea is also found, there's a second of account of when humans were created, and we're going to look at that, Genesis 2, 18. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. Some like to argue that suitable helper would imply that woman was made as a servant to the man. You hear that a lot. However, the Hebrew word here, helper, is commonly used for God as a helper of humans. So the word cannot presume lesser authority because God's authority is never less than humans. Okay? The word suitable in Hebrew is actually a compound preposition. We're learning about this in school right now in my little homeschool academy. Compound preposition, and it means like opposite. Okay? And it's found only here in the Old Testament. The word, it, it expresses both similarity and difference in this specific passage. So if it were only meant to be similar, there would be a more natural phrase, which should be something like him, okay? The Hebrew word suitable implies this similarity and a distinction between man and woman. It, it implies both similarity and distinction. So she is a helper who both corresponds to him, which would be similar, okay? You guys get it? Not if you get it. You didn't know you were coming for language in English, should you? And it complements him in a different way, okay? So the woman was created to be a companion, so a partner. And they were called to fulfill God's purpose over them as a whole, as mankind, male and female. Okay, this next part is critical. Those of you that have checked out, Come on, come right back in. Genesis 2:22, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, had he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, whoa, man. No, he didn't say that. Um, he said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You cannot miss this. The significance of this new creation of woman being taken from man's side, not from his head, not from his hip, not from his foot. He was, she was taken from the side, which is located the rib next to the heart. Okay, so literally, she's literally a part of him designed to co-lead, co-reign side by side, emulating the heart of God, taking from the heart of man. And I believe that this illustrates God's desire for equality of men and women. Not that we're going to be called to do everything the same. That's not what I'm saying. But that he sees us as his children, as a collective, not as one more important than the other. Can you even imagine if you were like, I have two sons and a daughter, and I just really love my sons more than my daughter? You would not do that. And if you did, you probably have a heart issue. And yet that's what so many people do, like setting us apart, men relieved from the curse, women not. And that's not in line with God's heart. There were so many women that had leadership roles in the Old Testament. We're going to breeze through a couple. One example is Deborah. She was a judge and a prophetess found in the book of Judges. Now, in those days, it was the most politically powerful position in the land. It was like a, a combination of a Supreme Court justice and a president. So she was a big deal. She also was the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. So when she spoke, people listened. Um, and of all of the divinely appointed rulers, it was only Deborah and Samuel who were appointed by God to be both a judge and a prophet. 
okay? Um, so Deborah, functioning as a prophetess, she hears the voice of the Lord clearly telling her that God is going to go before the army of Israel to lead them to victory. And it's Deborah who's functioning as a judge who tells Barak who, to command the army to go into that battle, okay? You guys good? Yep. I know this isn't the most fun topic in the world, but it's got to be talked about. So we've got to notice here, God is releasing authority to Deborah, who's a woman, who in turn releases authority to man, Barak, and they together are able to lead the army to victory. That's God's unity. And so what we've got to learn from this example, God is not only raising up women when there are not capable men. There were capable men around her, and God was unifying them for his purposes, so on the contrary, God is free to raise up any leader he wants, regardless of age or gender or race, if their hearts are yielded to him. And that is the key. That is always the key. It's interesting. In Iran, they have the fastest growing church in the entire world right now. You know who it's being led by? Women. That is not culturally acceptable. Marjan, are you here? It, right? It is not typical that a woman in Iran would be allowed to lead a Christian-based organization. Unbelievable. But God is not segregating. He's calling his women forward. Another example of leadership in the Old Testament is a woman named Huldah. She was a famous prophetess in the reign with Josiah. You can read more about that in 2 Kings 22 or 2 Chronicles 34 if you want to go through that this week. But these stories are not for lack of male leadership. They were surrounded by godly men. So this argument that God will only raise up women if men aren't available is invalidated by Deborah and Huldah, and there are plenty more. There were also so many women in the life of Jesus in the New Testament. So after he breaks the curse... He's still using women. It's unbelievable. It's like he knew what he was doing. The Gospels are full of these references. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who were called to be his disciples. Uh, there's Joanna, there's Susanna. They mention Mary and Martha from Bethany. Many of these women actually traveled with Jesus and the disciples and even supported their ministry financially. This was a big call. This was a big deal. So we always want to be looking for God's heart in every matter. If God is including women in his son's time on earth, this is representative of the heart of the Father God in heaven. Okay, I want to show you the most exciting part of this whole conversation. We're going to look at John chapter 20, and it's where Jesus has just been raised from the dead. This is so incredible. I actually had a conversation with my brother about this this week, and my mind was blown. So John 20, you can follow along on the screens. Very early Sunday morning, before sunrise, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. And when she, and when she arrived, she discovered that the stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb was moved away. So she went running as fast as she could to go tell Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. She told them, they've taken the Lord's body from the tomb, and we don't know where he's at. And then Peter and the other disciple jump up and they run to the tomb to go see for themselves. They started out together, but the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. He didn't enter the tomb, but he peeked in and he saw only the linen cloths lying there. 
Then Peter, coming behind him, went right into the tomb, and he too noticed the linen cloths lying there. But the burial cloth that had been on Jesus' head had been rolled up and placed separate from the other cloths. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went in, and after one look, he believed. For until then, they had not understood the scriptures that prophesied that he was destined to rise from the dead. Puzzled, Peter and the other disciple left and went back to their homes. They're like, what do we do? I guess we'll go home. Meanwhile, Mary arrives back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. She stoops in to peer inside, and through her tears, she sees two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. Dear woman, why are you crying, they ask. Mary answers, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And then she turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her, but she didn't recognize it was him. Mary answered, thinking he was the gardener, Sir, if you've taken his body somewhere, tell me, and I will go and... Mary, Jesus interrupts her. Turning to face him, she says, Rabboni, which means my teacher. Jesus cautions her, Mary, don't hold on to me now, for I haven't yet ascended to God my Father. And he's not only my Father and God, but now he's your Father and your God. Now go to my brothers and tell them what I've told you, that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Then Mary Magdalene left to inform the disciples of her encounter with Jesus. I have seen the Lord, she told them, and she gave them his message. There's three quick things we've got to take away today, okay? Number one is he's your father. He loves you so much, whether you're male or female or whatever race. He designed you perfectly in order with the gifts that you need. His first example, being raised from the dead in the new covenant, is expressing unity. He says, God the Father is not just my God, he's your God. We're unified. He's not just my Lord, he's your Lord. We are unified in the body of Christ. That's his first act. No segregation, just unity. Number two, he chooses to appear to a woman first. He could have chosen anybody. I probably would have chosen the one that doubted the most and been like, told you so. But not Jesus. His heart's always in the right place. Why a woman, if in fact women are inferior in his kingdom, why would he start with an inferior foundation? Why would he do that? This wouldn't make any sense. And I want to encourage you women, God's not angry with you. God is not belittling of you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to show up to you first when he rose from the grave. That's a big deal. Talk about breaking the curse off of women. Guys, he gave his son for men and women alike. We've got to function in unity in this idea. His first act in this new covenant, showing up to women, he's going, the bridegroom is coming for everyone. There is no segregation. Finally, you have to remember this. Number three. She gave them his message. The third and most astonishing thing in this passage, I had never seen this. My brother Chris showed me this 
earlier as I was preparing for this. This is unbelievable. Our minds were exploding, weren't they, Chris? The first message ever preached in the New Covenant was by a woman, by Mary, and Jesus told her to preach it. He says, now go to my brothers and tell them what I've told you. Jesus said to a woman, go and preach. If that's not clear, I have nothing for you. This is such a clear, clear issue. And so women, I want to encourage you, step into your anointing and your calling. Do not let any voice segregate you or belittle you or set you apart. Step into your anointing. And it might not look like preaching on a stage, but it does look like affecting the person in front of you, whether it's a classroom or a coworker, whether it's your college roommate, you are called female and male to equip and anoint people with the word of God. So walk in your royal identity. Let your voice be heard. Don't worry about the voices of dissension. There will always be distractions. Just go, Jesus, what do you say about me? Oh, yeah, that's right. You shut up to me first. I must be a big deal. Okay? You are a big deal in the kingdom of God. So don't let anyone disqualify you. And men, sons of God, thank you for not being distracted by the spirit of legalism. It is trying so hard to distract the body of Christ from his heartbeat. Thank you for being men that are tender and responsive to the heart of Jesus. This is crucial in what I believe God is doing in the church. And I want to just prophesy over this church and over the church of Jesus in general that God is allowing a new season of awakening in this area of unity. That we no longer will have oppression. We no longer will have division and distraction because our eyes are on King Jesus. And we are moving forward in a new chapter and a new season. We are moving forward in unity and in freedom in the name of Jesus. Men and women speaking for the church of Jesus in unity. And the bride of Christ, we have got to be unified in order to be ready for his return. Because without unity, we are not emulating the heart of Jesus. And I believe Jesus and his Father are waiting for our hearts to be ready for him. Deuteronomy 6, 16 says, Change your hearts and stop being stubborn. For the Lord your God is the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. He's the great God and the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality. He's the God of gods who shows no partiality. And if he's doing that, we have to emulate him. I think my son seeing his friends not as black and white, but as people created in the image of God, without discrimination is a picture of where the church is going in Jesus' name, because it's going to be what heaven's going to look like. And I believe that the eyes of all people are literally being healed right now to see people through the lens of what God intended. No more discrimination, no more legalism. We're going to begin to see healing in this. We're Church 214. We're literally named after Acts 214, where Jesus is uh, equipping the disciples to build the church. And if you go three verses later, you get to Acts 217. And it is reminding us, it's repeating the prophecy of Joel, which I spoke on earlier and then John spoke on in the video. And I believe this is prophetic for us right now. We're in this day. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And so Church 214, we're stepping forward again, okay? We are stepping forward after the Savior, men and women alike, in the prophecy of what Jesus has called out. In the very chapter we're named after, this is our next step. Unity, men and women alike, do not shy away from your anointing. No matter your age, no matter your race, no matter your gender, because the Son has set us free. He broke the curse. And so may we act like we are people in freedom, okay? May we get out from the uh, obstruction of people's opinion, and may we just believe the voice of the Father when he said, Mary, go preach. And then he said, disciples, go make disciples. That is the point. That is the calling. I want to pray for you. Jesus, I actually don't like topics that aren't fun. Um, And sometimes I wish you gave the word to somebody else. But then I know that no matter what you've called us to, no matter what my friends sitting here, my family sitting here is wrestling with, the voice that you're giving them and telling them that they're, equi- they're, they're called to, they're anointed for, God, would you begin to raise up a mighty armor, just a, a mighty armor around every single one of your army here in this church, Lord Jesus, that people would begin to not doubt their call, that they would begin to not question the voices of those around them, but Lord, we would just step forward in confidence of your anointing over us. And so Jesus, I just pray that the peace of God that transcends our understanding, even when people debate your very words, oh Jesus, even when people translate them and to, to slant towards their own opinion or their own interpretation. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear your truth so clearly. Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to follow after you. And so God, would you continue to mold us into exactly what you need us to be here at Church 214. God, I pray right now that you would begin to release captives, men and women that have felt that they're still under the curse of the old law. We say in the name of Jesus that the demonic force has no ability to continue meddling in and tampering with the callings of the people of this church because whom the Son has set free, which is us, Church 214, we are free indeed. And so in the name of Jesus, I proclaim that there will be an outpouring of the prophetic and of the anointing of God over the men and the women from the very oldest, who's probably Mike Crowey, um, to the very youngest, who's one of those tiny babies in womb right now. And God, we speak this in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for your love and for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.